We have a bonus episode tonight with Sean O'Brien from the Calder Farmstead to talk a little bit more about the San Diego goals and about certain players that should be playing for Anaheim this season. Hmm. We'll talk about that and more on tonight's bonus episode of Locked On Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome everyone to Locked On Anaheim Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason J.D. Hernandez, on this bonus episode. And we're going to have some goals talk. I talked a little bit about the goals on Goals Thursday. But I have a very special guest who is part of a terrific podcast, might I add. It's the Calder Farmstead. And a lot of familiar with Locked on Ducks know the current co-host of Calder Farmstead, who used to host Locked on Kings. And this is the main host of the Calder Farmstead, Sean O'Brien. From it looks like all the all the way out in San Diego. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a big traveler. Uh, like to make sure I get out to fun places. Uh, you know, where where the content is. Uh, but yeah, I've uh, been hosting the Calder Farmstead for, geez, almost three years now. It's it's really fl- uh, flown by. We've uh, had to make some changes to the format this year out of necessity because, as it turns out, watching 12 games a weekend was not really a sustainable thing. And uh, we we've you know, gone from the preview recap format to being a little bit more uh, around the league, a little bit more uh, balanced, but not necessarily talking about individual games or uh, matchups. But still, you know, I mean, last week we broke down uh, Laval's uh, defensive zone system and what's going on there. We talked about, uh, you know, what Henderson's doing wrong and why they're struggling. We talk about San Diego. We uh, we basically Mm -hmm. randomly draw eight teams out of a hat every week to talk about until the hat is empty and then we fill it back up. And one team we talked about recently, um, which I want to talk about just for a hot second, the Bakersfield Condors. And the reason for that is because the Condors recently had a game against the San Diego goals where they shut them out to nothing on veterans day, by the way, Um, Bakersfield has had a pretty solid defense all around. And, you know, I've said this, I've noticed this, when they tend to shut it down, they shut it down big time, and they did so against that goals team just last Friday, as a matter of fact. Yeah, they did. Uh, I, I actually just finished watching that game uh, right before I came on here, so fresh in my mind. Uh, Bakersfield's always had a really good defense. Um, they, they managed to keep kind of the same bodies around there. Uh, they have uh, a couple that have kind of graduated or moved on, but the same core seems to be in place um, for most of the season. And they, they're a big physical defense that has guys like Yanni Caldas who can skate and move the puck well, but they have a lot of good balance on their blue line. I think that's been one of the big keys to their success. I thought the goals played at least well enough to be in that game. It did. It was, it was only two nothing, but like they didn't feel like they were getting absolutely, you know, their teeth kicked in. Whereas, uh, oh, what was the last game I hope oh, that they just played? Uh, oh, the Santa game on Bay. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, that one. That was the goals had nothing on that game. No, they they looked like they never got off the bus on that one. But yeah, uh, Bakersfield has like they've struggled a little bit in the early goings too. I, I don't think that they've gotten quite the goaltending that they were hoping for. I thought. Uh, Calvin Pickard's been good, but Rodriguez has been 
not, mm. not exactly yeah. uh, what you were hoping for. They've had some hiccups on offense too, where I think some of it is just bad luck as opposed to uh, guys not executing. They've had a lot of roster shuffle too. If I remember this correctly, Tyler Benson, who we said on the show was going to get healthy, uh, just got re- assigned for a conditioning stint down there. So yep. he should be there for a couple games. That'll give them a nice boost because uh, he probably doesn't belong in the AHL anymore. Um, so th- they'll, <laughs> You're right on that. Yeah, they'll, they'll at least get some pieces back, which will be helpful too. Yeah, and going back to that game, I mean, you're right that it felt like the goals were in it. It was 0-0 for the longest time, and those two goals came within striking distance. That second goal, the goal's defense was really scattered around. There was three guys on one side and no guys on the other side. So that's probably a residue of just bad scattered defense all around. And you, you've seen that a lot from the goals in recent games where like they still don't look like they have understood where they're supposed to be outside of, I would say, the, the top line. Um, that like Kirkland, uh, or Kirkland grew Grimaldi line, uh, yeah. that one seems to have figured it out of like they, they've kind of gelled and have the chemistry going now. They're defensively not always the best, um, but they're at least usually in the right place, whereas a lot of their other lines look very scattered. And I mean, I don't think anyone's really ever going to accuse Jacob Perot of being a defensive uh, wonderkin, but like him, uh, Braden Tracy, who like at least Tracy puts in a lot of like effort, but it's not mm-hmm. always well placed. Um, but yeah, they, they've there were a lot of moments in, in recent uh, recent games where it's just it's not been pretty in their own end. Um, and that the San Jose game, especially too, that was a, just a failure in transition. Like I felt like I was, yeah, was... last year's, uh, big or last year's Barracuda team. And then I realized and I'm like, Oh no, this makes sense. A little bit of sense. <laughs> That's a little harsh, but it's very apt criticism on that end. Um, so I want to talk about the forwards a little bit and you have a website by the way that talked or that shows, some of the forwards in the league. And I wanted to mention this on the podcast itself. I love the use of the old school graphics on some of your graphs. I oh, like yeah. the old the old school Providence Reds logo in there just because I like that one. Old school goals logo. I think goals fans of old will love that one. Uh, but going through the forwards, there is one name in there that I think probably should have been given a shot with the Anaheim Ducks. And that's Rocco Grimaldi. And if you want to touch on Grimaldi's game for a hot second. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Grimaldi is, he's been a little hot and cold in the early goings where you would see him just take over a game and then be, I would say absent, but not as present in some of the others. But it looks like he's kind of started to settle in and find his his place, his pace, you know, uh, his chemistry. But I mean, Grimaldi, you still see all of the things that say he's an NHL player. I mean, he has at least NHL caliber speed. I wouldn't call him, you know, the next Connor McDavid or uh, Andreas Athanasiu speed, but like he can skate at a, at a high level in the AHL. He definitely has at least NHL level speed, um, but he has high end puck skills, great hockey IQ. He's an above average shooter. And I mean, he's still a dude who put in what back-to-back seasons of 10 goals in the NHL. Like, yeah, yeah. that's not something you're raising a banner for, but like, that's not, you are, nothing. if you're like, you are if you're the Nashville Predators. Well, it makes sense. It was in Nashville, so maybe they did. Yeah. But it's it's one of those where it's like you don't have guys who score you know double digit goals in multiple years in the NHL just suddenly play you know seasons in the AHL 
uh, following up. And yeah, every time I see, I've seen him play, uh, he's still looked like a guy who has skills that don't belong here. And I, I, I think that he should have been given a shot with Anaheim, but also I think Anaheim is uh, doing some general patent kind of strategy and just not necessarily <laughs> trying to do their best every night, which, Hey, I mean, if you see the hype around the draft class for 2023, I feel like that's okay. Uh, you know, if they get Connor Bedard or uh, Adam Fantilli five years from now, no one will remember <laughs> that they were horrifically bad for two years. They're just going to remember Connor Bedard and like, some Jack Daniels or something. <laughs> this is kind of reminiscent of the Colorado Avalanche from five, six years ago. No one or hardly anyone remembers those down years for the Avs now that they just won a Stanley Cup last season. Yeah. The, and like, that's how no one remember like uh my my fandom is kind of strange, but uh in the NHL level I'm a Penguins fan and nobody remembers those like first three Crosby years before Malkin came when like those teams were fun because it had young Crosby doing everything he could to get the puck in the net, but they were not good. And nobody really remembers those years that like, those are forgotten years. And as long as they don't become, you know, a, a long trend, if it's, you know, two or three down years, one or two down years, everyone's like, Oh yeah, we can move on from that. Like as long as you don't do what the Sabres did and you're on rebuild version 3.4, <laughs> like that's people will forget and they'll come back. Uh, or like what, I mean, the Senators now at least are trending upwards, it, it supposedly, allegedly. But then you have other teams where it's like, you need to start, like, I think the Penguins should sell at this deadline. But the... Well, we thought the same thing of the Ducks season. They trended up until the all break, and then they just completely fell apart at the end of last season. Yeah, it's all John Ham's fault. That's what I'm... <laughs> Maybe you got something there. But uh, it's, I, I think eventually, especially now that uh, uh, Lucas Dostal has looked like the goalie we thought he could be, granted, mm -hmm. I do my very best to not try and uh, draw firm conclusions from what a, a five game sample, a seven game sample. Like, yeah. But he's been building to this for a while. So I'm more inclined to believe that this is legitimate especially because most of the defense has not been doing him favors in his own end. Oh yeah. Uh, that's a, but, that's a good segue. That's a really good segue. And I do want to talk about the defense and Dostal, but I'm looking on the clock on the upper right that I've got to do a little break here. So if you want to hang tight for a second, I got to talk about, I got to talk about bet online, which is the one place that has you covered the one place that we trust <gasps> bet online has you covered with more props, odds, lines, et cetera, et cetera. The NBA is going on right now. NHL, you could bet, on teams but you know be responsible don't bet on the ducks and you could also bet on football baseball's dead to us and there's also mma boxing etc etc so if you want to check out the latest lines you could do so at betonline.net using either your laptop or your mobile device bet online is the official online sportsbook of the locked on podcast network and please gamble responsibly and don't bet on the ducks don't bet on the blue jackets you know be responsible folks and if you live in California, oh, well, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that. So you segued talking about Lukas Dostal, who is the current, by the way, AHL player of the week. In those three games, he went two and one, uh, looked stellar. In those three games, by the way, including the game against Bakersfield, that second goal was not his fault. 
No. That was just horrific defense. You have one defenseman on your graph that's actually doing something fairly well on the offensive end. And that is someone that John Broadman calls the honey badger, Nicholas Bruyard. <laughs> it's a long story there. But talk about the honey badger for a quick second. I mean, in his own end, he's probably their third best defenseman on defense, which is not saying a whole ton, but he's at least out there not screwing it up on a regular basis. His big value to them is uh, moving the puck in transition and what he can do quarterbacking a power play in the offensive zone, joining the rush. Uh, he does all of those uh, very, very well. And it's why kind of you saw him play forward a bunch last year because mm -hmm. he basically plays defense like a forward would. Yeah. Uh, I'll where... chime in here. I'll chime in. Uh, the same happened with Hunter Drew converted defenseman into a forward. Same thing. Oh, for sure. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see. And I think this was part of our, our season preview for the goals too, is uh, if, you know, the, the team tries to put him back in some forward roles. And I'm like, I kind of doubt that just because that very much does not seem like a Roy Sommer move, uh, but it could happen. Um, but I, I think he's, his biggest value is definitely getting the puck from their end to the, through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. He's uh, very good on the power play. Although I feel like he gets a little shooty at times from distance, but he, he's definitely their, their really only good playmaker from the back end. They're only good puck mover from the back end. As much as I love Drew Hellison's play this year in the defensive zone, when the puck is on his stick and he's asked to do things with it, I mean, it's, it's fine. He's not terrible at it, but like the rest of the goals defense, the it's, yeah, they, they, the game against San Jose was one in which you just saw transition mistake after transition mistake after mm -hmm. failure after failure. And it's like, yeah, they didn't get to play much offense because they literally could not leave the zone with possession. There it is right there. I I feel like a broken record saying that too. That's been an issue for the goals for a lot of this season. And it comes on those third line pairings. It comes from guys like Axel Anderson, who's had trouble with that. It's come from guys like Josh Healy. Oh, Josh. And oh boy. I think the less we talk about that, the better. Yeah. I mean, he's he's just struggled. Unfortunately, he has struggled this season mightily. But there's one name that you did mention that I've liked a lot this season, Drew Hellison. And you've mentioned before we started, you like Drew Hellison on the on the defensive end. Oh, for sure. Uh, Hellison reminds me if Axel Anderson was like a little bit better. Uh, they do. They have kind of an overlapping skill set, except I think Hellison does a better job of it. Um, Hellison's a little more physical, a little more mobile. He's willing to jump into the play a little bit more, but uh, and he's more useful in transition. But like, yep, he still plays. You know, uh, he is the rich man's Axel Anderson. Um, but I, I've really liked what I've seen from him this year. He's done a good job breaking up plays in his own end. He's not getting lost in coverage, uh, even when you have teams like Ontario who use a lot of movement in the offensive zone and cycling and activate these from the blue line and bring them down into the play. He's still able to process all of that, you know, kind of multi-variable problem uh, at, a, at a high speed, which is impressive. The problem with Drew Hellison and the area that's going to kind of keep him in, uh, you know, if he does make it to Anaheim or while he's with Anaheim, that's going to keep him in basically bottom pair penalty kill minute role is what he does with the puck on his stick. It's, He's not mm -hmm. making mistakes 
often when he's, you know, making breakout passes or in the offensive zone, but he's not adding value to pucks. And that's going to limit your upside as uh, a defenseman in, you know, this, the, this day and age in the NHL, like you can be someone who defends the net front. Well, defends the rush. Well, can break up plays, block shots, but you need to be able to get pucks out of your own end uh, and start it up the ice. Like the, the best defense in the NHL is still, you know, your traditional defense, but second best defense is getting the puck out of your end. Uh, most teams yep, that so- are bad at every level, you can point to transition as being one of the reasons why, because if you can't get pucks out of your own end, making offense is nearly impossible. We saw that again, not to beat a dead horse here already, uh, but in that Barracuda game, like none, nobody came to play when it came to getting pucks out of their end. They just kept turning yep. it over. And I'll, and I'll go one further. Even in the NHL level, last night's game against the Winnipeg Jets, the Ducks had issues getting the puck out of their own zone. They called Drew Hellison up for this road trip, but they didn't use him last night. And I thought having someone of his caliber to get pucks out of the zone was one of the biggest issues for the Ducks last night and was ultimately their undoing when they allowed that late goal against Kyle Connor for the hat trick. You know, the Ducks just could not the, get the puck out of their zone. And that was just a broken record, broken record all throughout the season for the Ducks, and especially in last night's game. So when you mentioned that aspect of his game, that'd be useful for the Ducks, wouldn't it? It would, assuming that it translates one-to-one from AHL to NHL, which is not a given. Um, It wouldn't surprise me too to see them kind of ease him in because he's not, you know, your typical uh, uh, grizzled 28-year-old veteran who you'd want for, you know, just a, a cup of coffee. Like, they're they're going to probably take it easy with him because you know throwing him into the deep end and asking him to do stuff that he's never done at the NHL level is a big ask from uh what 22 23 year old yeah uh, who's 22. you know doesn't have a, a lot of pro experience per se so I, I can understand why they aren't willing to throw him in they want him to get some practices in get his feet wet a little bit feel comfortable where he is before they decide they want to throw him uh, into game action, which I think is understandable. Uh, he's also on, I think, an emergency loan too. Which, if I remember correctly, the rules behind that, the you as soon as someone else is declared like physically healthy enough to play, he gets sent back to San Diego, and there's no waivers yeah. to it or anything like that. So we may not see him in action, depending on how severe injuries are to the Ducks' uh, defensive core. I'm not up to speed with that one at the moment, but uh, it, it, he's he's someone who I think they're probably going to play very lightly. Like it wouldn't shock me to see if the first game he gets in Anaheim uh, in this swing is like 12 minutes or something silly like that. Just to, you know, get him out there, get him used to the speed of the game. I'll, I'll give you one. I'll, I'll give you a big one. The Ducks' defensive core right now is without Jamie Drysdale because he is out for the season. Dmitri, Dmitri Kulikov is their top defenseman. Remember, remember Simon Benoit from the goals? He's in the second line. Colton White and former Ontario Reign player Austin Strand is in their third line defense. That's what a little thin. A- uh, they had a big off-season signing. They paid like seven million. Oh, John for... Klingberg. John Klingberg. John Klingberg. He's not in the first line. He's got one goal this season. Oof! In seventeen games. Oof That's is right. Yeah. It's not at all. 
he'll he'll be moved at the off season or at the mid season. Oh, trade he was deadline. he signed that contract with the firm intention of being moved at the deadline. Yeah, the stupid thing about that contract is it's a no trade clause until a certain date in that contract. I think it's like mid February is when he could finally get moved. I'm surprised but, he didn't do full no move with like a or like a ten team or five team list or whatever. So that way, he knows he's getting traded and he can control the destination as opposed to. You know, letting uh, uh, Anaheim do it. Yeah, that was weird to me too. I mean, it was a weird contract to begin with, but he also kind of bet on himself as well. Yeah, the Taylor Hall that, deal. That's... Yeah, we'll see how that works. We're going to end today with a little bit of brevity here because we've talked about the defense. We talked about actually, we didn't talk about Dostal a whole lot. We can cycle. Yet. We can circle back to that one. Yeah. Um, you said that Dostal it hasn't been all his fault. And he has been a quality goaltender in this league. Do you think he might be ready for the NHL as a backup soon? Yes. And I think he's probably ready for a backup role as early as later in this year. Um, as long as we continue to see the progress that he's made uh, this season in San Diego. I mean, and he's always going to struggle, I think, to put up, you know, stellar AHL numbers just because the team in front of him defensively has not been good so far. And well, yeah, we can all hope, cross our fingers and hope that that improves. I, I think taking his stats with a dose of salt, uh, you know, and maybe a shot at tequila and a lime with it is helpful. <laughs> it's that's kind of why uh, the graph that we have on our, uh, our page uh, for goaltenders also shows defensive environment at the bottom. Yep. And that kind of helps put like, it's not just raw save percentage. It helps put that number into context of like, yeah, are you having mild success, but how hard is it to be you? Um, and I, I think that's something that kind of takes the, you know, people who just look at the box score stats and see that, you know, Dostal has a nine twelve or nine fifteen or whatever in February. Like he's not ready for the NHL. He can't even put up a nine twenty five at the A like that's not, well, you know, his team in front of him makes mistakes that NHL defensemen don't make. So mm -hmm. there is that aspect to it. And I think he could be ready for, you know, that NHL backup role in short order, especially too. like, if he continues to succeed in the AHL and look ready, you could see, you know, that was, I think the big reason that you didn't see John Gibson get traded at the deadline uh, yeah. last season is that they're like, well, we don't know if Dostal's ready yet. And if he's not ready, we can't just be throwing, you know, our quasi franchise goaltender away for <laughs> futures if we don't have a goalie of the future ready to come in and seize the throne. And Dostal has at least looked that part uh, for the first, you know, handful of games this year he's played in, which I take more stock in than I normally would for for players who play that kind of sample because he's been building towards this. I actually picked the goals to beat the rain last year in the playoffs strictly on the basis of I trusted Lucas Dostal to be able to steal the show. And I trusted Matthew Villalta to be able to give it away. And there were at least, there was like <laughs> 10 minutes in the first period of game one where I looked brilliant. It was like a, the goals came out yep. to like a two nothing lead. And for like 10 minutes, I'm like, look at me. I'm the smartest guy on the internet. And then it all backfired. <laughs> I mean, watching that game live, I could see, I could see the writing on the wall that Ontario was kind of hanging back, but they were also trying to rely too much on certain guys that are no longer there right now. And they kind of succeeded with that. Remember, they had that power play that relied on Martin Furk all of the season. They did get burned. We also saw, interestingly enough, we saw the NHL debut 
Oh, I had a couple of debuts for the goals on those games. Who only played, I believe, just the one game, and that was it. And I think that was Hellison. Oh, no, that was Olin Zellweger. Zellweger, yeah. Olin Zellweger. Yeah, Zellweger played game one and mysteriously was left out of game two, which to this day still makes me go, ah, why? Olin played a good game one. Defensively, he was fine. That, that wasn't all his fault. And to your point, going to the rain, I don't even trust Matt Valalta all that much this season. I think Phoenix Copley's been the better of the two goaltenders in Ontario this season. I think it's been hard to say because it's it's funny. Uh, I said this, we talked about the rain in our last episode, uh, and I said this to Sarah. Uh, I was like, if you would have told rain fans that Matthew Villalta, 12 games into the season, had a nine, I think it's 931 save percentage, they'd be like, oh, so we're 12 and 0 in the top of the Pacific Division. Like, that's always been what seems like it's held them back is that there are times in which Matthew Villalta just cannot stop pucks. And Mm-hmm. He's had three, I think it's three just amazing games and then two just atrocious ones. So it's, again, it's a small sample and it's hard to know what's going on. Like this is a moment in his career that he should be developing and getting better. But at the same point, I said that last season and he was still just, he he relies too much on his athleticism to make saves. And he's been slowly building structure in there bit by bit. Probably, you know, uh, his goalie coach is bald from pulling his hair out. But, like, it's <laughs> it, it's been a struggle for him. But I think – I'm also not that high on Phoenix Copley either. He's clearly on the back nine of his career. And the fact that he's yep. been as solid as he has, I feel like is more of a, a good fortune than it is good ability. I Like, Copley's still a serviceable AHL goaltender. But, like, even his last season or so in Hershey, the fans there were, like, still treating Phoenix Copley like he was, uh, a you know – a top starter in the AHL and should be getting looks as a backup in the NHL. And it's like, that's just not true. Yeah. He's been I think a serviceable to slightly below average AHL goaltender for about three seasons. Now he was better last year, but I still am not convinced that he's the guy that his save percentage indicates he is. And I'm still mixed on what Villalta is going to be this year. I think he probably takes steps forward, but I don't think he does the, you know, does the thing that gets the Kings excited. And I think that's why I was surprised in last year's mini playoff that it was a two-game sweep. I honestly thought it would go three games because of what you just said about Volalta not being that steady goaltender. And especially considering Dostal on the other side, Dostal was brilliant in that second game. It was a close battle all throughout. It took an overtime goal for the rain to move on when I really thought, I thought San Diego was going to pull that one out in game two. I really did. It felt like it was trending that direction. I, I mean, I I feel like even though I was wrong in my pick for that series, the reasons that I made that choice were at least evident. It just didn't work out. And that's, you know, yeah. the nature of hockey. The best team doesn't always win. The right team doesn't always win. Uh, and I mean, Ontario, I still said, you know, I know Ontario is the better team, but goaltending counts for so much in, you know, a two-game, three-game series. And uh, I think Dostal is ready to be put on a big stage and, you know, uh, have a little bit of a coming out party. And yeah, he just, he, he didn't do it then, but he's now doing it, which actually makes me more angry when I think about it. But like he's, you know what I, I thought I, yes, to this day, I still think his coming out party was two playoffs ago, the weird little Pacific division playoff between San Diego and Bakersfield when Dostal had like a 40-something save game at Mechanics Bank Arena. That, I thought, was his coming out party at that time. I mean, I 
I struggle to take things from that season in to in totality it, with seriousness, just because of yeah. how, especially in that playoff, like. I, I forget who it was off the top of my head, but people were like, yeah, these are just intense as regular players. I'm like, are you watching the same games that I am? Like this, these are like exhibition friendlies because literally none of them want to still be there. Like they're not getting paid at that point. Yep. And I think, what was it? Uh, uh, Mark Andre Fleury's uh, agent, uh, Alan Walsh, like tweeted out something that like, 75% of the players or whatever it was voted against uh, having any kind of playoff. And the teams were like, yeah, but we actually don't care. So you're going to do it anyway. So like, I think, yeah, like Nostal played really well in the, in that playoff uh, little mini series, but like, it's hard to take the level of effort that was clearly on the ice on both sides uh, seriously in front of him. Like he was out there trying his best, but like that is 100% yeah, he was the not true of everyone else in that game. He was the only one out there really, really going balls out in the oh, yeah. series. No, like, no, I, I dis no discredit to everyone else, though. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I still remember watching the Henderson-Bakersfield uh, final and being like, oh. I've literally watched a deciding playoff game, and there hasn't been one scrum after a whistle. There has, there's been, like, physicality, but nobody's, you know... There haven't been, there's been no sign that like these teams are anything more than like, let's just do this and get out of here. Like it was like Bakersfield was happy with what they won at the end, but like they clocked in at a very much 7.5 out of 10 on the happiness scale. You win a real Calder Cup playoff series, you are at at least an eight and a half, nine. Uh, that's. I, I, that whole season, like we saw so many mirages from that season where it's like, oh yeah, yep. this guy from Lehigh Valley put in, you know, near a point per game place. And then the next season it's like, oh yeah, he scored uh, 10 points in 49 games. And it's like, yeah, that 2021 20, season wasn't real. I mean, it was real enough that I had to be in a bubble, but <laughs> that's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast altogether yeah. in general. Um, and next time I go to Bakersfield, I'll make sure to get a picture of the division banner that they have hanging up oh, not i'm not i'm not kidding i will take a picture next time i'm in bakersfield i think next month i'm going up there they have a banner that says 2021 pacific division champions i kid you not i it's too stupid to make up oh it definitely is that's i mean okay bakersfields yep sure yep whatever yeah fine um we're, we're going to end on a lighter note. So you can see I have a little AHL jersey. If you remember that jersey from the 2020 All-Star Game. That was the last All-Star Game we've had for the American yeah. Hockey League. Uh, just down the road from me in Ontario. So we're going to have like a little bit of fun here. I know you're a big jersey head. You got the goals jersey on right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a big jersey head. So I will ask you, like, in your memory... What are three of the best goals specialty jerseys they've worn? Oh, I mean, I love I the like the re the retro one that they have. That's like the the blue and orange that just has the goals over it. I honestly wish they would just put this logo on that jersey, and that would be it. Like that should be the home logo. I I've said that for I think at least six months now. Like as soon as I saw those, I'm like, all right, I understand the history and that kind of stuff. But like, just modernize that with the logo you have now. Call it a day. Like that's that's what they should do. Uh, specialty goals jerseys. Oh, 
for military jerseys that they had the other night uh, when Dostal made save of the year, I didn't mind those. Uh, like most military jerseys, I feel like because you know every year every team does one, and mm-hmm. like there are only so many des- like so many designs that you can keep doing year after year. So most teams kind of do the same ish things every year. I kind of liked theirs with the the desert camo look. That one was one yep. of the better, at least one of the more interesting ones that I saw. Whereas most of them, I feel like, have been very much done before and done better. Um, I'm trying to think. <sighs> Specialty jerseys for the gulls. That one is on my list, by the way. The camo one. Yeah, I liked that camo one. I liked... Oh, uh, their pink in the rink one that they did. I'm not sure what year it's from. But uh, they did where it's like white, but they did the pink shoulders and stuff. I really yeah. liked that one. Like... Most of the like uh, the pink or the purple jerseys, like you know, cancer awareness, great cause, obviously. Uh, but the like the jerseys for them often look not great. Like I'm amazed that people buy them. I think they do it a, more of a sense of like helping the cause than like I really want to have this jersey and wear around town, which that's fair. Uh, but the the gulls ones that they did for pink in the rink, uh, like breast cancer awareness. I thought were were pretty good uh, compared to the rest of the field doing them. I, I thought theirs were at least one that I would contemplate buying. I I agree on that. I mean, they they that jersey online, and I I had to look for like all the jerseys on their team shop, and I believe it's the one from last season, actually. Um, the white one with the pink on it. That one's a really nice one, but they've always had really good pink in the rink jerseys san diego just does a good job with those um oh for sure my favorite one by far do you remember 80s night the 80s night jerseys no i don't oh look that up right now as i'm talking about this so the san diego goals three yeah two years ago or three years ago had an 80s night where they did everything 80s they brought the delorean in they brought all the special, like, just 80s stuff. Uh, they had, like, Rubik's Cube people there. The jersey itself had Rubik's Cube shoulder pads with this kind of, like, 80s-ified logo. The numbers themselves had a little bit of a colored, like, gradient. To me, that was probably my favorite goals specialty jersey they've ever done. But I think what made that night special, they changed their goal song to an 80s song. They didn't deviate. <laughs> Some teams do specialty nights and they play a few songs, like they'll have a country night to play a few country songs, or they'll have like a rock and roll night and play a few rock and roll songs. Goals went all out. Every single song, including their intro songs, like everything from the 80s, they went all out on that one. I think I'm seeing it here. Oh, I do see it with the Rubik's Cube. Yeah. Yeah. Very like... I like it, but it feels almost like it was supposed to be their Miami Vice night jerseys, <laughs> which to be fair is eighties. So I, that that's acceptable, but yeah, those are, those are definitely very eighties. Like I can see the like spandex with those. That's yeah. Those, those were sweet. Those are, every, those are good ones. Every time I see a fan with those jerseys, I just smile a little bit more. And in hindsight, I wish I'd got one because they're nice. Oh, I'm sure that like that's the one thing that always makes me laugh when I see like the post game jersey auctions and stuff. 
that it's like I have the most I've ever paid for a jersey, and I have 96, 97 in my collection. Ooh. Uh, the most I've ever paid is I think 249. And it was for one that was very, very rare that I'm like, I know I'm never going to get another shot at this. So like I have to fork up the cash for it. And it was a Lanny McDonald uh, Calgary Flames jersey. So that's a good one. Yeah. Like you're not going to come across that on eBay or on like Facebook marketplace or something like that. So that was one where I'm like, I've resigned to the fact that I'm never going to find this in the wild. So I'm willing to fork (laughs) out the actual cash for it. Um, but like most of the time I pay, you know, between let's say one, like less than 180 for each Jersey. Like I, I have incredible patience for, you know, eBay and Facebook marketplace and stuff like that. So like the idea that people are paying like $1,200 for some, you know, fourth line guys, Jersey, I just, I never can get my head around like, which is partially why I like what the goals do. Um, the goals set aside a bunch of jerseys, the blank ones, for their specialty nights and actually put them up for sale at about 200 pop, which is more than some other teams that say, you can only get this jersey if you buy it from this player and whatnot. You know, I, I like having the option of getting just the jersey itself for a lot cheaper. Yeah, I, I think that's one thing that uh, has been, I've made fun of on Twitter about the AHL, where like, there are certain parts of their merchandise shops where like a comparable piece of merchandise to their NHL club is actually more expensive at the AHL level. And it's like, you guys know that doesn't make sense, right? Like, Oh, I think the example I used was Wilkes-Barre Scranton had a like kids penguins Jersey that was blank. And it was, I want to say like a hundred bucks and the penguins sold a Crosby kids blank Jersey with the name and number on the back for like 79. And it was like, guys, you're, Blank kids jersey is twenty percent more expensive than the pe- like the Pittsburgh Penguins Crosby one. Like you were doing it wrong. But like especially too, if you you have a fan base that's you know can is coming to your games because they like the price point of you know twenty five dollar tickets and six dollar beer, you can't be trying to get them to do three hundred and twenty dollars for a jersey. Like that's yeah, or Taco Tuesday, but. Yeah, but like the other thing too is selling selling merchandise like that. That's you want people to buy your stuff because then when they wear it, that's advertising you didn't pay for. That's advertising they mm-hmm. paid you to do. Like you you can't be charging them arm and leg for that. that yeah, stuff. I know, I know. In hindsight, I wish I got that eighties one. That, that's kind of the one that got away, but that one sold out so fast. That I think I didn't I've have seen one on eBay, like. Here and there. So I saw one on eBay. It went for a lot. Like, I think I don't know. I, I I got a goals jersey. I got my goals jersey already. So I, I took that off my eBay alert list. So, but there you go. Um, for those that want to follow your work and follow the website, where can they find you and where can they find your, your wonderful podcast? So my podcast is the Calder Farmstead. You can find us at the Calder farmstead on facebook and instagram and at calder farmstead on twitter for however much longer twitter lasts uh we uh are basically we record wednesday nights uh and it comes out thursday morning uh and we talk about uh you know news that's going on around the league when there is some and then we just kind of pull eight teams out of a hat and deep dive them talk about what's going on with them if they're winning why they're winning if they're losing why they're losing if their star player is hot or cold what's going on there um, so we touch on all 32 teams uh, across the league, uh, 10 minutes or so at a time. 
Um, those come out Thursday. You can find us uh, there if you go to uh, our Linktree page, linktr.ee slash the Calder Farmstead. Uh, that's where you can find everything about us. Um, me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Sean O'Brien81. That's S-E-A-N-O-B-R-I-E-N-81. I'm also on Instagram at Sean O'Brien underscore 81. Uh, my Twitter is mostly hockey, but is, you know, a mixed bag of stuff. Uh, I'm not a beat reporter, so I don't take it that seriously uh, and try and be super professional all the time, which uh, has its pros and cons. My Instagram is not that well updated, but you can see my entire jersey collection on it in my uh, jersey of the day story that I have saved, as well as, you know, my dog Parker, uh, who makes frequent appearances on it as well. Um, but that's all the places you can find us. Yep. And we got to mention your AHL charts, by the way. We got to mention that oh, on yes, the tableau. Of course. I just finally finished them because uh, it's uh, really hard to edit, you know, 4,500 lines of code when like there's one piece that isn't working. Uh, so it took me a lot longer this season because I tried to do something different with uh, how I put shots in because uh, I cut out overtime and shootout shots from my totals. And it took a long time to get that right. <laughs> uh, but you can find all of that at bit.ly slash data dump and chase. Uh, it's also in our Linktree page uh, for the Calder Farms if you scroll all the way down there. So uh, and that'll show you charts on um, you know, how uh, players, forwards, defensemen, goaltenders are performing, how teams are performing at even strength. Uh, it projects standings as well as looks at standings over time as, you know, you know that uh, two players get called up to your NHL club and that changes everything. We can actually help project how much that shifts things and how bad your team is now going forward. Uh, so we do all of that. We have playoff chances up there because now uh, I've built it out so that every single AHL game is simulated 5,000 times and we can see who makes the playoffs or who's likely to make the playoffs uh, that was a lot of fun last year, but a very time-consuming thing to build. Uh, but you can find all of that on my Tableau page. They now have changed the order on Tableau for how things are like uh, displayed. It used to be the most yep. recent stuff at the top. Now it's at the bottom, which I don't like. But if you scroll all the way to the bottom down there, you'll see the AHL 22-23 uh, charts. And you can you know have fun exploring those. Uh, as always, if you have any questions about them, you can find me on Twitter uh, and ask uh, we have an episode zero from the Calder Farms that, that should explain most of it, but not always. So I'm always happy to explain, talk about analytics and things like that. San Diego right now, a 51% chance to make the playoffs. Hey, better than Henderson. Yeah, Henderson is, I have to <laughs> believe at some point they are going to get it together. Like, I, I don't I, know. I've thought highly of that coaching staff. They have good pieces on the team. Their big problem is they just cannot execute in transition, which nope. the goal should be able to understand a little bit. But like they're they're so sloppy right now. And I have to imagine at some point that course corrects. But like they look uh, like Binghamton in the bubble bad at transition. Uh, oh, I don't know if you remember any of those Binghamton. Yes. B Binghamton, if you breathed heavily on them on the forecheck, they turn the puck over. <laughs> so it's Henderson isn't quite that bad, but they're very much but in that. Binghamton part. was historically bad, almost. That's how bad it was. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Sean, thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate Absolutely. you coming on. And I'm just going to end the show right here. Uh, don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at StimpyJD, if Twitter's still alive. And the show's Twitter's at LO underscore Ducks, if that's still alive. And yeah, I, I promise I will put more drink. I'm kidding. We're not supposed to have drinking videos, but my last one, 
a little throwback of how bad the Ducks are doing right now. It's awful. And if you listen to the podcast, it's available everywhere, like Stitcher, Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Last episode talked about the 17-game streak the Ducks are on, where they have not won a regulation game. They're coming close to the Phoenix Coyotes. I see that derisively, but they're coming close. Almost at 20. Yeah. Tank for Bedard. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Sean, thanks so much again. Anytime. Really appreciate it. And on behalf of Sean and myself, I'm Jason Hernandez saying have a great weekend, folks. Please uh, continue to be safe out there. And ducks and gulls fly together. Fly together.